Amen, amen. Hey, if you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can pull it up on a phone or on any device, but would love for you to see with your own eyes God's word in front of you. And uh, as you turn there, let me ask this. How did you make the gospel known this week? Now, for some of you, don't be too hard on yourself. Um, That doesn't immediately mean that you had this gospel conversation with a stranger. Many of you did make the gospel known in a greater way to your children, in a greater way to loved ones nearby. You helped someone understand in a greater way to take a step to the right of their eyes being open to Jesus. Uh, Some of us, though, we are convicted by this question. I'm convicted this week by this question. Brock, how did you make the gospel known this week? I ask that because we come to a section in this letter, and it's fairly common for Paul, who's the author of this letter, to include a section like this in much of what he writes. But we get a, we get a glimpse into how he views his ministry. And this is really important for us because I wanna say some things at the outset. There's some things we're gonna study today that are for sure unique to Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. But as Paul unpacks his ministry, I think some things we can extract from that are some of the principles that should go into us building a framework for gospel ministry that God has called all of us to. And and to put it very simply, what we're going to find here, and, and maybe this is too simplistic, but it is for sure simple. Paul really believes his ministry is all about making the gospel known, period. He seeks to make the gospel known. And he wants to make the gospel known to these Gentiles. Remember, Gentile simply means uh, coming from a non-Jewish descent. He is the apostle to these people that they would see what we studied last week, that through Jesus Christ, though they were once far off, they can now be brought near by his blood and be saved by the good news of this gospel message by the grace of God through their faith. And so as he comes, or as we come to chapter three, he wants to expand on this a bit. And so we're going to continue kind of that main thrust of the gospel for the Gentiles. But underneath that main thrust today, we're gonna get two implications of how Paul views his ministry. And what I'm I'm arguing, if we dig rightly, we can extract some things from these two implications for our own lives of gospel ministry as well. And so I, I want to read this whole section. I want to pray, and then let's get right into it. Ephesians 3, verse 1. The Word of God says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel." Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach 
to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages and God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Uh, Father God, would you, as we walk through uh, two rich paragraphs in your word, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see Would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us dig and mine the riches of your word rightly? God, would you prevent us from digging wrongly? And would we hear what you have to say through your word to us? In Jesus' name, amen. What Paul, as he begins chapter three, I, I believe, and there's a group of biblical scholars who believe this, that um, he's going to come to this beautiful prayer he has. We're going to get there in in verse 14. But it's like as he begins chapter 3, it's like he wants to begin this prayer. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, and then he digresses a bit away from the prayer and he picks that prayer back up as we'll see it next week in verse 14. He comes back and he says, okay, okay, for this reason, here's what I'm praying for you. But what he has to say in expounding on what he just said that we studied last week about this ministry to the Gentiles is really important. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he says this, assuming that you have heard of the what? The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So Paul believes, and Paul is right to believe, that he has been given a stewardship from God that is for the benefit of these Gentile readers. Now, we have to ask, what is this stewardship? What does Paul believe he is supposed to, called by God, steward with his life? We keep reading and we find out. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul believes the stewardship call on his life is to make this mystery, which God has now revealed by the Spirit, known to these people. Paul's like, before the Lord, this is what I have to steward. I have to steward this mystery that is now revealed that you would all know this mystery that has been revealed. And now, when I was uh, young in my faith and newer to studying the Bible, I would come to sections like this and I'd be like, Lord, what's the mystery? Lord, what's the mystery? And I'd be praying, I'd be asking God, God, like, will you reveal to me this mystery Paul's taught? Please, like, Lord, let me be special. Let me in on the inside. What's the mystery? And as you grow in your study of the Bible and as you grow in uh, uh, the Holy Spirit at work in your life, he goes, uh, go to verse six. I'll tell you what the mystery is. Verse six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
pray, thank you for your response to that. That makes my heart worship. Because everything we talked about last week, y'all, this was major, major deal as the church began. Gentiles are saved. Gentiles have the Holy Spirit. What do we do with that? We got to kind of call a meeting here in Jerusalem to figure out how does this all work? And I want you to see within the framework of like one chapter in our Bible, the hopelessness that Paul had outlined for the Gentile reality before the gospel of Jesus Christ and to this hopefulness we just read. Remember what it said in Ephesians 2 verse 12. It's on the screen. Remember that you were at that time, he's talking to Gentiles, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It doesn't get much more hopeless than that. But remember what we've just read now in Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through what? Through the gospel. And this is the hope now that resounds of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so the main thrust of this whole section we're in of Ephesians is this. The mystery is revealed that Gentiles are fellow heirs in the gospel. Now, we talked a ton about that last week. If you weren't here, go back and listen to that message. But the implication or what, we should, what should make us all worship and respond that the way that we did to hearing that is that most of us sit in this room having come from a Gentile descent. This hope for us, this is the hope of the gospel to the nations. That, that uh, for every tribe and every tongue and every nation, the way to a holy God is through the shed blood of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we would believe in him and by God's grace, he would save us through our faith. That's true for Jew, it's true for Gentile. Now, with that as kind of the main thrust laid before us of this whole section, I want to pull and tease out a couple implications for the way that Paul views his ministry of this, of that. I'm pointing at a screen I have in front of me, of that. What are some of the implications of how Paul views his ministry of this and what transfers to us from what he has to say here. The mystery is revealed that Gentiles are fellow heirs in the gospel. First implication is this, thus, thus, the gospel is worth suffering to make known. Now, where am I getting that? You should always ask when you're listening to a preacher, where are you getting that? I want you to see how Paul has bookended this section we just read. Look for me at Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, he could have described himself after that in a number of ways. As he began the letter, he described himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. As we come to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, and how does he describe himself? A prisoner for who? For Christ Jesus on behalf of who? Paul, I'm Paul, an apostle or a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you all. 
this message, this mystery that is now revealed that I'm giving my life to making known has led to my imprisonment, but it has led to you being the benefactors of that. Now, this isn't, Paul, I love the way Paul talks about his imprisonments and his beatings and his sufferings. It's never a pity party. It's never a, hey, do you guys see how much I'm suffering for you? There is joy that emanates from what Paul says about these sufferings. Why do I say that? Look at the bookend. Look at the other bookend, verse 13. So I, this is how he wraps up the whole section. So I ask you not to lose heart, or I ask you not to be discouraged over what I am what? What I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, don't be discouraged by this imprisonment. Don't be discouraged by my suffering. Why, Paul, how can you say that? Because what I am suffering is for you. I suffer for this gospel for you. And in this gospel going to you, this is for your glory. Now, what does that even mean? In Ephesians chapter one, we came across a repeated statement that was, that was, like, that was said like this, for the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glorious grace. Do you remember that in Ephesians one? Like Paul just kept writing that. This is for the praise of his glory. This is for the praise of his glory. This is for the praise of his glorious grace. Paul says, don't be discouraged that I'm in prison for this. Don't be discouraged that I'm suffering for this. This suffering has led to you hearing this gospel. You have believed in this gospel and you now are joining the chorus of the believers singing the praises to the glory of his grace. And you're gonna be part of the chorus of the praise of his glory on this earth and then one day you will know this glory with your own eyes when you're in his presence. So don't be discouraged by my suffering. This has led to your faith and in believing in him, this is for your glory. Paul believed wholeheartedly that the gospel was worth suffering for. And the question, right, the question for us is this, do I believe the gospel is worth suffering for? As we study one of Paul's prison epistles, it simply means a letter he wrote from prison, I was kind of confronted this week to go, Brock, is there anything you're willing to go to prison for? I mean, I, I want to say yes. I want to say that I would follow in the footsteps of this, but, but you got to wrestle with that. You got to ask that. If someone comes in right now, throws me in cuffs, am I walking off the stage going, don't be discouraged, y'all, it's for the praise of his glory? Or am I like, who's got a good lawyer? Right? Do I believe, do I really, Brock, do you really believe that the gospels were suffering for? Uh, this week I had the awesome privilege of jumping on a call with a, a, a ministry leader who's doing work uh, in the Arab world. They're leading uh, people from Muslim backgrounds to the Lord, and then they're sending them right back into their own villages and communities to share the gospel of Jesus. 
And so as we hop on this call, there's all these tech things he's doing on his end so that he can speak freely to me and, you know, cloud stuff and make sure people can't hear stuff. And then as he's unpacking the ministries, you know, he's, think, he's talking about how they have to go into villages and things they have to do to make sure they're not known and all this, the, the risks that are apparent for every man and woman who is a carrier of the gospel message within their ministry. And I'm sitting there thinking, right, in, in, in my office in Greenwood, Indiana, where I can minister to freely to the gospel of Jesus Christ without any of those things, I was struck most not by all the measures they have to do to get the gospel out. I was struck most by the joy in his mouth about the privilege that they would get to do this for Jesus. I was so encouraged, so humbled, so challenged by it. And it just led me to go, Brock, is there that same passion, zeal, love for the Lord and love for the lost that would lead not only to your suffering, but are you even, are you even willing in your context to be inconvenienced for the gospel? Are you willing to be reviled or people say some weird thing, you know, some things that you're weird when you leave the room? Are you willing for that? You know, even this week, pulling into the Kroger parking lot between 9.30 and 10 p.m. on a very important run to get Halo Top low-calorie ice cream. And uh, I hop out of my car and I look over and there's a gentleman just leaning on the back of his van just you know 10 o'clock at night at Kroger just and the Holy Spirit just begins to nudge in the way the Holy Spirit does I don't know what the nudging men I just I noticed him and the Lord put him on my heart and then you feel all the emotions you feel during a time like that that's weird it's 10 what's he gonna do if I walk up and so I'm like, Lord, I'm going in to get my ice cream. When we come back out, yeah, uh-oh, someone just said uh-oh. So I go in, get the ice cream, come back out. He's now sitting in his van. And so I unlock my car. I put all my stuff in there. I'm standing outside my car. I'm like, all right, Lord. And I begin to walk over. He throws the reverse lights on, backs out, and off he goes. It's not the end of the story you expected, is it? And then I chased him down in my car and I shared the gospel on the side of the road. He, he, you know, I said, you know, close your eyes, bow your head and repeat after me. And he, no, that's not how it happened. And so like I'm driving home, low calorie ice cream in the passenger seat going like, Lord, like what? Why? Why not? Well, Brock, you're scared. You're scared of this being an awkward encounter. You're scared of, you're scared of, you're scared of, you're scared of, you're scared. And so I'm just asking, I'm asking us to just go, man, like as we read a letter written by a follower of Jesus, penned while he's in prison, in which he's looking at the benefactors of his imprisonment and saying, don't be discouraged by this. God, will you give us that kind of view of the gospel? Will you give us that kind of zeal for you, Jesus? Will you give us that kind of burden for lost people that will not think twice to walk across a couple aisles of a Kroger parking lot and just go, man, what's going on? How can I pray for you tonight? Can I share with you the hope that I have at 10 p.m. in a Kroger parking lot in a Savior named Jesus? What prevents us from a life like that? Yeah, the answer to that question are all over the board. For me, it's rooted often in fear. 
And so you see Paul bookend this section going, I'm a prisoner for this message. I'm suffering for this message, but don't, don't lose heart over that. Don't be discouraged by that. This is for your glory. Uh, and so the mystery revealed that Gentiles are fellow heirs in the gospel should lead to something. Thus, the implication, the gospels were suffering to make known. And then this second thing that you see Paul unpack in detail is this, that the gospel's worth ministering to make known. The gospel's worth ministering to make known. I use that word ministering intentionally because it's the word we find here, verse seven. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given, and now he's going to unpack his ministry. Okay, Paul, what do you mean? What does your ministry look like? And he's going to say two things about his ministry. Verse, uh, uh, verse 9, uh, sorry, verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Here's, here's the first part of his ministry. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this leads to the second thing. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, I'm a minister of this gospel. And as a minister of this gospel, that requires two things from me. To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach means to announce or to herald. So I'm heralding, what does he say he's heralding? The unsearchable riches of Christ. How cool is that? I love the way Paul writes things like that. I'm gonna preach to people for the rest of my life the riches of Christ that I even can't, can't even be fully searched. That's our, oh, I love that. I love that. And so this is, I'm preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ and the purpose of that preaching, the hope in that preaching is the second part of this ministry, to bring to light for everyone, for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So in my preaching of Christ, I'm trying to unveil the eyes so they can see God's plan of salvation that had been disclosed for so long. And so this is the ministry Paul is seeking to live out. Now, here's where it gets really, really cool, I think. And I, and I hope God will allow me to bring out the riches of what he says next. Verse 10, what are the next two words after that? How does verse 10 start? So that, so that means, I mean, so that. It means I'm preaching Christ so that eyes would be open to bring to light the salvation reality. And now he says, for this purpose. So that means for this purpose. Paul, why are you preaching? Why are you bringing these things to light? For this purpose, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. Come on, give me a holy moo. Give me a holy moo. Mm, mm. 
now we have to do what we do when we do that, right? What does that even mean, right? What does that even mean? I, uh, I, total preacher transparency. I don't know the fullness of what that can mean. That's where I think the Bible has so much beauty, where we can read something like Ephesians 3.10 for the rest of our lives and go, Lord, will you teach me more today what that means? Will you teach me more today what that means? But, but, but I'm not, we got to at least mind that a bit. I believe what Paul is saying here is that through the preaching of Christ, as people are being brought to light what is God's plan that has been revealed for so long, the church now displays what he calls the manifold wisdom of God. Uh, it means the multifaceted wisdom of God is on display somehow in the midst of this. And not just Redeemer Bible Church, the, the ecclesia, the church of the living God. Those called out to follow Christ by faith. That God somehow is unveiling his wisdom, his multifaceted wisdom in how his body operates in such a way that it's being made known, that wisdom is being made known to the rulers and authorities on earth. Is that what it says? It says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So in a way that my little pea-sized brain can't comprehend, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places look down now on the church of the living God as it's played out as Jew and Gentile come together saved by grace through faith. And then somehow as they watch this, the rulers in the heavenly places, as they watch this play out in the here and now, God is unveiling for them his manifold wisdom of his redemptive plan. Praise his name. That like angels are looking in on this, watching it, worshiping, going, oh my goodness, how great is our God. You know, the book of Hebrews will talk about this, that the angels long to know. They're watching how God is redeeming a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, bringing them together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, saved by, the, but saved by his grace through faith, and they're worshiping over this. And y'all, if this is what God says about his church, we better have a pretty high view of it as well. I cringe when I hear the statement, I love God, I follow Jesus, I just don't like his church. I get it, listen, I get it. I get that usually within that statement is some hurt, and I don't deny that hurt. Listen, y'all, church can get messy. Anyone with me on that? Church people can hurt each other. Church people can say dumb things to you. Church people cannot know how to handle tough things you're going through. 
but it's the body of Christ in which God is choosing to display his manifold wisdom in which the heavenly beings are looking on in awe. It's worth it. It's worth all the repentance that needs to happen so that we can display this unity. It's worth all the reconciliation that needs to happen so we can display this. It's worth continuing to fight together for the mission that Jesus has given us. It's worth the pursuit of the unity. It's worth it because his manifold wisdom is on display here. Verse 11 goes on to say, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That tells us that this way, this way of the church, it wasn't some plan B reality. He had always set it about to be this way. And that it's through this Christ Jesus, we get to verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And this is why he gets to the end. He says, so don't be discouraged by the fact that I'm in prison. It's so worth it to be in prison for that. Who's with me? And y'all, as we look back at verse seven, and we pull some implications out of this point of our sermon, The first one I already mentioned is this, that the church is special, specially important in God's redemptive plan. And if God has a high view of it, we're to have a high view of it as well. But the other implications I want to pull out of this sermon point is this. As he says in verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister. Let's just... Let's acknowledge the special place in redemptive history the Apostle Paul has as the Apostle to the Gentiles. And let's also acknowledge that the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ and are indwelt by his spirit, we become ambassadors of this gospel message as well. We get the awesome privilege of being ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're seeking to just develop as the culture of our church. This reality that we are ambassadors. That we must commit to gather like this for the edification, encouragement, and the building up of the body. And we must be equally committed when we scatter from here to the ambassador role that God has given us amongst our neighbors and in our workplaces, amongst family, and amongst the people we hang out with amongst random strangers in Kroger parking lots at 10 p.m. We're ambassadors of all of the splendor that we just unpacked here. It's what's thrilled my heart since we preached the 4W Life, you know, culture we desire for our church this past spring. That from that has come uh, people in our church having pancake breakfasts in front yards so their neighbors will come out. And other families buying two-story inflatable water slides and setting it up in their side yard and watching the neighborhood flock. And hearing the stories of neighbors you had never met now sitting at your dining room table. And other neighbors finally bearing their soul and prayer happening right there on their front steps. That the gospel would go forth of the good news of the hope we have in Jesus Christ and that that gospel would go forth through his people in whom he's made ministers of that gospel. And so, the good news 
for people far from God. And may we never lose sight of the fact that we one time were people far from God. The good news for people far from God is worth suffering and is worth ministering to make known. Now, we don't have to worry about the suffering part. We just have to take care of the ministering part. If we take care of the ministering part, God will take care of the suffering part. You're like, is that good or bad? It is. It is. It is what it is. But as we're faithful to the gospel ministry that the Lord has entrusted to us to be stewards, may we too know this joy that Paul knows of as he gives his life to the ministry of it, even should suffering come, he's able to say to those who are now part of the faith, don't be discouraged about this. This is for your glory. And so I just want to ask you to stand, pray a bit of a commissioning prayer to this, and then worship our way out of here. Father, Uh, I pray that you would let our hearts fall in love with Jesus in such a way that there is no suffering we could encounter that would rob our joy of knowing you. I pray that you'd burden our hearts for those who are still far from you in such a way that we would joyfully minister the gospel to them, even should it mean inconvenience or sacrifice or suffering or being reviled. God, I pray that you would help us not lose sight of the precious nature that you've assigned to your body, the church in displaying your manifold wisdom in such a way that rulers in the heavenly places look down to see it. God, I pray that you would give us gospel passion, gospel love, gospel boldness, gospel strength, gospel endurance, So that, Lord, we can gather in this room and be built up, edified, encouraged, and drive our roots down deeply in who you are. And then we can scatter from this room as the joyful ambassadors of the gospel message that must go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus, you are good. We love you. We give our lives to you and in a scary way we ask you to crucify anything we're holding back from you all for your glory all in your name